And I was fascinated by that because I actually worked 12 years undercover, which by most people, it's, it's unfathomable to survive that long. And then I worked 16 years in SWAT. So most of my career was special operations. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to The Mike Thacker Show, where we talk about people, profit, and purpose. You are listening to The Mike Thacker Show, where we talk about people, profit, and purpose. And today we are focused on purpose, primarily talking to an incredible guest, Dr. Scott Silveri, somebody who, after getting together in the studio in the, in the Dallas Work Lodge and visiting with him for a few minutes, it turns out we know some of the same people great, great friends, great connections. It was just amazing that we'd never actually spoken to each other or bumped into each other before, despite all the the folks that we know. Um, Scott is a retired police chief and now is spending his time in ministry as an online church. And he also has a book publishing house. Him and his wife have put out something like 10 million books between them. And listen, all I'm going to say is this guy puts out books like I go out for dinner. I, I don't know how he does it. And, you know, we kind of allude to it a little bit in the conversation, but he clearly has a gift for this. And uh, I'm so excited for you to hear this conversation today. So here we go with Dr. Scott Silveri. Thanks so much to our sponsor, Work Lodge. Amazing workspaces for amazing people. If you need to just get out of the house, come pick up a day pass. If you need to meet some folks, we've got conference rooms and training rooms, video studio, podcast studio, you name it, we've got it. And it's all amazing. So go check it out, worklodge.com and take a look. And also, while we're just taking a pause here for a second, don't forget, I launched a tech channel recently called Tech Talk with Mike on YouTube. I get to play with gadgets and have some fun behind the camera. Got a few episodes out there. And uh, and thanks for all the folks who've left really, really nice comments. Honestly, I kind of been blown away by some of the, the, the comments that people have said. So I'm glad you're enjoying it. I'm gonna do my best and uh, keep trying to get better. Tech Talk with Mike. Go check it out on YouTube. So we're here in the studio with Scott. And before we get started, we're going to do our five-question rapid fire so that you guys listening can get to know a little bit more about who we've got in the studio today. So Scott, you're not allowed to think about these answers. You've got to shoot from the hip, okay? And it's just going to be five quick questions. Number one, what is your favorite food? My favorite food is pizza. Oh my word. Is anybody going to come on this show and not say pizza is the favorite food? Literally every single person we have asked has said pizza. Anybody listening, if you don't like pizza as your favorite food, can you please connect with me to come on the show so somebody else can join me on this crusade? I don't hate on pizza. I just don't think it's my favorite and everyone else loves it. So let's move on. Uh, Scott, what's your favorite book that you've read in the past year? I'm going to have to say uh, Beyond the Yellow Brick Road by Pastor Juan Martinez. Beyond the Yellow Brick Road. Quick synopsis. It's actually it's interesting. He's a pastor outside of Houston. And during Hurricane Harvey, when they were losing everything, God gave him a re- revelation that was similar. It was very interesting that it overlaid uh, to the, the, the Yellow Brick Road journey really? in, in, the, in the movie Wizard of Oz. And it was really beautiful how he, how he talks about redemption, restoration, and just the story as he overlays biblical scripture along with the Wizard of Oz story. Oh my word! As if my reading list isn't long enough. Now I'm now I'm thinking I got to go get another book and put it on the pile. So number three, what's your favorite movie ever? Oh, three hundred. Oh, okay. <laughs> now we're talking. So all you Shawshank Redemption folks out there, like the last few that I've interviewed, you know, we're talking a real man's movie now. All right, number four, what's your favorite thing to do? Just hang out with my wife. Okay, relaxing is good. Number five, best single piece of advice you've ever been given. Be kind. My spiritual father shared that with me, and I've 
The simplicity of it is amazing and it has incredible benefits. Awesome. We're in the studio today with Scott Silveri. And I could tell you a little bit about Scott and how we kind of met each other, but it's a little bit more bizarre than that. So we're going to come back to it in a second. And first, I want Scott just to introduce himself and then we're going to dig in after that. So, Scott, welcome to the show. Uh, why don't you tell us in 30 seconds or so? who you are and why you're here. No, I appreciate it. I'm very honored to be here. Well, my name is Dr. Scott Silveri, and I'm a retired chief of police with 26 years in law enforcement. I am, uh, thankfully, a husband, my wife, Leah. We have seven kids. Uh, we're a blended family. And we moved from South Louisiana after my retirement in 2015 to Dallas area. And we, uh, my wife and I both were writers. Even though I was a law enforcement officer, my passion, my calling is writing and publishing books. Awesome. Now, for those of you that are listening, obviously, I'm relatively new at this podcasting game. And so, you know, as we look for folks to talk to, my eyes are always open. And I came across Scott and we kind of connected online through the good old, you know, interweb. And then as we got talking in the real world, and as we were even just talking today, we found that we know more and more and more of the same people to the point where actually the first church that my wife and I worked at in the US, which was Cornerstone in Lake Jackson, Texas, way back in 2001. Our pastors there who are still like family uh, to this day and our kids literally call them Nanny and Poppy happen to be great friends with Scott and his wife and we had no idea. And now we've been, you know, connecting dots. My wife and Leah have been chatting. It's like, oh, okay, now I, you're that person who did this and did that. And, you know, I say all that to say this, you never know who's going to come across your path in life, but, you know, slow down, pay attention and, you know, and be observant because you could be missing out on some great people and uh, they could be right next door. So we're going to dig right in here and, and, and chit chat a little bit more. But Scott, obviously, writing, you said, is your passion. You're married to a writer. You've got a publishing house. You guys are all in on this writing gig. So why don't you talk us through that a little bit? How did you guys get into deciding you wanted to be your own publishing house? You know, what's involved in that? And tell us more. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, part of the, the writing was when I walked in and I handed Mike our latest book and he looks at the cover and he says, Adam McCain. He said, <laughs> we know Adam and Jamie McCain. I'm like, well, that's who I wrote the book with and he's our pastor. So even that's another level of connection. Right. And, you know, to the business sense or, or the what you just said, it is important to take time out and get to know people, invest in their lives, pay attention to who they are. Because like you said, be it in the faith or in the church world, or even in the business world, uh, making those connections, uh, true sound connections are very important. And, you know, and that's the way, um, back to your question, is that's how uh, Lee and I got involved was when I was still in law enforcement, I wrote, I have a doctorate in cultural anthropology. And my, my study was on police culture, particularly the subcultures of law enforcement and the whole assimilation process is, okay. is, you know, how do you go from being a civilian to a law enforcement officer? But even more is, is once you're in special operations, you become what we call deep blue, almost to the point of a subset of law enforcement. And I was fascinated by that because I actually worked 12 years undercover, oh, which wow. by most people, it's, it's unfathomable to survive that long. And then I worked 16 years in SWAT. So most of my career was special operations. And of course, the, the, the risk and the danger, and I was very uh, thankful to have survived, but I was fascinated by the culture. And, and almost to the point of where there's there's this very distinct separation between your patrol officers, your detectives, and then you get to your special operations guys. So I was curious. So I did my doctoral study and a publisher bought my work, my research, and created a textbook. Wow. And I thought, every college student in America is going to read my book. To the contrary, no one that I know read my book, no criminal justice majors, but uh, writers, 
authors, TV producers, they started reading my work because it was a factual account of what real life police life was working undercover in special operations. Right. right. And of course, they don't, unless they've been on the job, they're writing characters, movies, books based on these detective heroes. And how do they know? They right. don't know the ins and outs. So I was invited to go to a conference years back and I'm teaching, I think, undercover. And, and this young girl comes up, young woman, and she starts asking me questions. And it's Leah, you know? Oh, and, and I'm thinking, oh, she's trying to flirt with me, <laughs> you know? But she wasn't. She was so particular to her craft. She wanted to know the particulars. And then I came to find out when I learned who she was, she was one of the, one of the most successful authors in the world. So... Through that, uh, we, we dated, and then a couple years later, we married. But she ignited a passion in me for writing. I'd always written very strict policies and procedures in law enforcement. My dissertation was, was very academic and rigor. And, yeah. But I just, I felt that creativity. But I didn't realize, I didn't know what, what would be the proper outlet. And when I met her, she started to introduce me to the world of creative writing. Um, and then, of course, she taught me the structure. She taught me the rules so I could break the rules. And that's what really uh, launched my passion was by seeing the life that she lived and how much she enjoyed writing. So it was just a natural flow. And then, of course, and we can talk about the business side of publishing, but, uh, you know, I'd been traditionally published. She had always been self-published. And so she started to explain the dynamics of, of business when you take that evaluation and a lot of authors want to be traditionally published. They want to see their book at Barnes & Noble on a shelf. Okay. You know, we opted to, instead of 6% of royalties, we decided to keep 70% of royalties and see our books all over the world. Right. And, and that was a business decision that, that we both decided. And that's where we came into self-publishing. or Well, actually, what we did, we started a publishing house so we could maintain control over our content, mm -hmm. our marketing, our platform, our branding. And that's where we are today. So I think as a business owner and as an entrepreneur, um, I know I've thought about writing. Uh, I wrote something many years ago when I was in the church world. And I think we talked about this on the phone. I'd probably be quite happy if I could sit in a library and, and read books and, and write all day. But I know that we've got to do a little bit more than that and make a living as well. And I'm sure that some of our listeners are probably, you know, thinking the same thing. Well, I've got something I want to share or I got something I want to put down. So, you know, for someone listening who isn't very well versed or isn't very familiar, maybe they've got something they think could be a good manuscript or could make a good book, but maybe it's a niche where they're not going to be able to go get a big publisher. Uh, my understanding of the self-publishing world is that you can essentially put together a script and then you can go to like a publisher on demand or something like that and have them, um, you know, literally print the books as they sell. Um, where you guys, I think, would come in and, and, and help explain this a little bit more, I'm assuming that is, is kind kind of in between those two extremes. So for someone out there thinking about doing this, um, what could they expect if they came to talk to you? Right. And that's a great question. And that's exactly right. The The publishing world has evolved over the last over the last decade. And, and it was either, like you said, you would write your manuscript and then you would try to convince an agent to sign you. And then the agent would shop it around to publishers to try to sell it. And that could be a multi-year process. The reality is most of the time, your manuscript never went anywhere. Right, uh, and then then you know self publishing came. Amazon kind of led the way for that, and it literally is mechanically that easy. You could write on a napkin, and you could you could sit, never be edited or, or anything, and load, upload it at Amazon yourself, and then have it published at Amazon. And it is you know you, you get out of it what you put into it. So what actually happened was 
it flooded the market with a lot of just substandard work. It could be great. It could be a great mystery. It could be a great um, biblical uh, reference book, but the grammar, the structure, all the all the basics of writing were missing. So, right. you know, that's when, when Lee and I were in the business or started, we understood the value of professional cover designers, professional editors, the whole process. And that's where with, uh, with our publishing houses, Five Stones Press, we really do. God, about a year or so ago, told us to offer it to the public and we would use it just for our books and which together she and I have probably written over 200 titles. So when God led us to open this up to everyone, because we do, we want them to have a voice, but we want them to, we're like the integrity gatekeepers. So right. the mechanics would be, if you know, if you have a, and we, we only publish uh, Christian authors and inspirational faith-based uh, works. So you have a manuscript, which is your, your Word document, and then you would submit it. Then what we do is we, sub, we go through all the processes of editing, which your editors really are. They're your integrity gatekeepers. They make sure your work just doesn't stink. And, and it's an interplay. They give suggestions, you write into it. And then once you finish that, it, is that it goes to formatting, which, you know, it becomes a e, uh, an ebook or a paperback or a hardcover. And then we work through our team of designers for the cover design. And then we upload it into our distribution network, which goes, you know, Amazon, iBooks, Google Play, uh, Ingram, which is actually the world's largest wholesaler of books. Okay. So uh, it's it's the exact same process you would go through had you signed with the traditional publisher, except we keep it, I would say, more of an intimate kind of boutique level where when God first led us to open it, and my thoughts were, well, thank you, Jesus. We're just going to start publishing manuscripts. And then God said, I want you to slow down and I want you to mentor these. And I've been working with a lot of pastors over the last couple of years. And, and we always laugh. We talk about from the stage to the page. Right. They're wonderful, right? I mean, they're wonderful storytellers. They're wonderful orators. But when it comes down to writing, there, there's just a gap in that in that transition. Okay. So that's really where I've been led to, to move into that space, where what I thought we were just only going to publish their work, I would guide it through kind of a project manager, uh, you know, through the phases of editing, that God said, no, 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 I want you to invest in their lives. And, and he really showed me that it's more about relationship than royalty, royalties from the book sales. Right. So that's where with our with our publishing house, that's been the benefit. I've got more great relationships. Right. Whether and most people they'll launch into the writing and then they decide, I just I don't have enough to tell, you know, or, yeah. or I'll come back later. But but those relationships continue. So I've always I've enjoyed being being a coach and a mentor and a cheerleader and whatever it takes to help them get their voice out into the public into the public realm. So it's fascinating that you talk about the mentoring side. Um, I was chatting with someone earlier today who does that, that exactly that in the creative realm. Um, he's an artist and he has a huge network that he's built of budding artists that he mentors and they talk about faith, they talk about business. I oftentimes say it like this, none of us got to where we are without someone else helping. Whether we realize it or not, we didn't. And so, you know, I really do believe it's a big responsibility for us to be generous. It's one of our core values as a business at Work Lodge is to be generous, be generous with our time, be generous with our knowledge, be generous with our wisdom so that we can help others around. And, and I think as believers, you know, we've got to be willing to be generous without expecting something back. You know, that's what we were talking about. I think, you know, before we got on the mics officially, just this idea of, of being a giver, it's not just about giving financially, it's about giving in any way we can. And sometimes it's not not financial at all. It's it's anything but financial. So it's just encouraging to hear you say that because that's just been a theme of the day. Is, is certainly for me at least. 
years back when we really truly understood stewardship. You know, if you mention stewardship in most churches, they think, well, you want my money, right? You want my money. And I always ask, I'm like, you know, if there was no money, what do you steward? What do you, what do you give? And we really believe in that is that, that everything we have, our, our homes, our lives, our family, our kids, none of it belongs to us. Everything belongs to God. And when you come into that realization that your talent, your time, your dogs, the right. house, the car, everything truly belongs to God. Yeah. It takes the pressure off of what you see as ownership. It's God's gift. God gave that to you. And, and stewardship, as we see it, is taking care of that. They always say the way you care for the gift is reflective of the way you care for the gift giver. So if you treat your wife poorly and God gave you that wife as a gift, then what do you think of God, the gift giver? So, my, of course, my wife always reminds me, he's like, I'm a gift. And you take care. And I'm like, you are a gift, baby. <laughs> I love you because I love the gift giver. But that's stewardship. And so when it came down to publishing, you know, we've been blessed. We've been blessed. I, I shared earlier that, you know, that my wife has hit the New York Times and USA Today bestsellers list 36 times. Tomorrow, the, the listing comes out and we expect her book that came out last week to hit it because we follow the numbers. So that's 37 times that God has blessed us with a best-selling book. And, and, you know, we understand that it's more than monetary gain. That gives us exposure. Yeah. When, you know, when you and I were talking the first time and a lot of, you know, I've written over 45 titles and, and that catches people's attention. It's like, I just want to write one. Right. But God's blessed me with the ability to publish those books so we can enter into a conversation. And, and then that's, so that's where we see giving more than monetary. Yeah. We, we'd like to tithe. We'd like to give above and beyond. But true stewardship is, is what you said. It's more valuable than money when I give you my time, my talent, my attention. Absolutely. So look, we're, we're going to leave the topic of books here for a second. But before we do, if you were going to give three pieces of advice to someone who's thinking about writing something or thinking about how to get those thoughts out of their head onto a page, what would be those pearls of wisdom? Yeah. Well, be persistent. Okay. It's your voice. Protect it and look for avenues to express yourself uh, through the written word. I mean, there's there's blogs, there there's Facebook, social media posts. Okay. But the big thing, and I should have lit off with that was, but it's your voice, it's your POV, right? Point of yep. view, protect it. We have so many folks that'll write and then they'll give it to a friend or this one or maybe uh, an old high school English professor. I see and before going. you know it, it's no longer their voice. You don't right. even recognize who it is. So God's giving you that gift of your life, your experience your creativity. So use it. Don't be afraid to express it. Awesome. Okay. So we're going to move on and, ch and change gears here. If I remember correctly, I think I read something about you online that said you are part of uh, like an online church. Tell us about that. Yeah. You know, well, in 2015, I was, I was chief of police in my city. I was, I'd just been reconfirmed by the city council for another four years. And coincidentally, I had four years left until a full 30-year retirement in law enforcement. That's a sweet deal. 100% of my highest salary, 100% of my insurance benefits paid for the rest of my life. And God called me to retire. I was a college professor. I was working at night, uh, teaching classes. I was traveling as a government contractor. I mean, as far as the natural secular world goes, corporate yeah. world, yeah. I was at the top of my game. And God called me to retire. And I was like, no, like you don't understand pension math. Right. And God's like, no, you don't understand obedience, you know? So I did. Two weeks later, I prayed and, and, and I believe God took the desire out of my heart. And after 26 years of a violent career, I've had some 
some horrible experiences. I never, ever said those words to my wife until that day. And I woke up and said, I don't want to go to work. And I realized that God had taken the desire out of my heart. And it, he, had to, he had to break those strongholds to my past so I could move forward. So I retired and I thought, you know, I've got so much worldly equity, you know, experience, education. This Man, God's going to really like elevate me. <laughs> and I waited three months and nothing and six months and nothing. And, and I was wound up in a state of despair. Put on 70 pounds, deep, deep depression, oh, wow. even suicide ideation. I mean, I was falling apart and I didn't have the facade of the badge or my occupation to protect me. And then I was walking through my wilderness season is what it was. God was allowing me to break off the old me so he could make the new Scott that he needed. Right. And about 2016, God said, I want you to, I want you to plant a church. And I was like, all right, well, we'll go find a building, you know, and he goes, no, 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 you don't understand, online. And I was like, but is that really even a church? Right. And he says, yeah. I said, so you want me to get a building and we can stream, you know, live stream services? Now, the time that by this time is 2017, time's going. And, and he says, no, no, only exclusively online. So I debated about it, you know, and then about a year ago, God really got serious, you know, because sometimes I'm stubborn and hard-headed. And he says, listen, this is where darkness reigns, online pornography, violence, propaganda. He said, I want you to plant a church in the darkness. So we did. We started fivestoneschurch.online. And, and I'll be honest with you. We, and he said, do it in a traditional church plant, except in the digital world, what we call third space. So I did that. And I'll be honest, friends of mine, mentors, peers, began to scoff. And they were like, well, that's not even, that's not really real. But God said, look, don't, you listen to me. You don't worry about what they say. So we launched. And then the beginning of this year, when COVID hit, right? and let me back up one second, about a year or so ago, God started to put on my heart that he was going to tear the walls down to the American church. And I was so disenfranchised with, with mega churches and the pastoral model and really convicted about the apostolic model, that it's about activating anointing and sending people out. And that's that's a church principle. It's also a business principle, right? We right. want to lift up, mentor, encourage, yeah. and, and, and send out. But I had that conviction that, that God was going to tear the walls down in the American church. And I was like, well, that's going to be interesting. <laughs> like physically, that's, well, I didn't realize, right? Yeah. But come COVID. And what happened? Everything shut down. Yeah. And everybody that mocked and scoffed is like, that's not legitimate. Started calling and texting and emailing about that online church thing <laughs> you did. Can you tell me about it? And, and you know, I was very cautious. Like I said, we were talking about giving advice, yeah. right? Yeah. Because what I did was in my submission and surrender is I reflected God by my obedience. So I was very cautious in giving advice to other people. Because I didn't want them to reflect. So I just, I gave them the same. I said, you just need to pray about it. Let God lead you. And instead of trying to replicate what they do on church, but pump it out through social media, I would always encourage, you know, think of it in the context of digital ministry. That's it, what it is. It's a, it's a digital evangel uh, evangelical uh, position. And, and so God's multiplied the church. I mean, and, you know, we have small groups. We have mentoring. We have discipleship. Um Everything that, that God's led me to do. And a lot of things, Mike, he was very clear about not, don't try to replicate this pastoral model. Don't try to replicate the way the American Christian church has, has evolved or devolved, depending on how you want to look at it. Okay. I mean, he kept, he's focused, you stick to first century church, Acts church. And, and that's what the model's been. And 
And I mean, we have over 150, 175,000 people. And I mean, actively engaged, broken into small groups and, and uh, you know, other pastors ministering to people. And because and I learned is most people online have been to church in a building yeah. and they've been burned yeah. or they've been discouraged or they've had unmet expectations, realistic or real, right? And they've walked away and they'll never, ever step foot in another building again. Some are afraid to go to a building, wow. right? Uh, the stories they hear. And and so God really put it on my heart that these people are seeking Jesus. So you can keep putting a meme up every so often, or you can start speaking into their lives. And it's been incredible. It has been absolutely incredible to see the effect in my life, to see the effect in the people that we engage with. And it's a wow. very real engagement. And the Holy Spirit is all over it. So we've gone from police chief, law enforcement, very strict environment to something very creative with the writing. And then obviously we've got this church online as well. So obviously you as an individual have had to adapt and evolve a little bit here because that's quite a lot of change. And for folks who've never been in law enforcement, um, obviously I haven't either. I've got a little bit of security background, but it's, it's not the same. I've got a brother-in-law that was a lifer, you know, the whole shebang rode out to his pension and, and he's enjoying he's enjoying being retired. Let's put yeah, it that good way. Good for him. Um, but it's, you're right. It's a whole culture to itself and it's something very, very different. How have you adapted and evolved? Because I think sometimes folks listen to podcasts like this and and maybe they're working in the corporate world. They've been there for years. And whether they realize it or not, they're they're in a subculture too. You know, they're, they're wired a certain way. They think a certain way. And if you're going to take a leap out into that entrepreneurial world, there's an evolution that's going to take place. There's a lot of change, a lot of discomfort. What's your journey been like? And what could our listeners learn maybe from some of the things you experienced? That's a great, great question. You know, I did not realize how institutionalized I was in law enforcement. I always thought of myself as kind of a rebel, a free thinker. And, uh, you know, I ride a motorcycle. That's my that's my right. rebellion. But the reality was over those years, like you said, every occupation has a culture and a subculture. And, and I'd really become institutionalized to the point of, you know, I had to sit at a desk to write. Leah, my wife, is very creative. No structure. She's okay with not knowing what our pay is going to be every month with royalties. I'm used to having a salary and a pension plan right. and all this and that. So when, when I started to make that transition, what I had to learn was that it's okay to dream and imagine. Wow. Like whenever I would have a seed of creativity begin to bud, I would stomp it out with, well, where are we going to get working capital? What kind of ROI on this? Or what's going to be? And, and I would destroy the potential for dreaming, imagination. And I'll tell you, I actually, Jamie McCain, Adam, Adam McCain, yep. our pastor's wife, is she spoke about when you go back to the creation story, see, I always saw God as a God of order. Okay. Out of chaos comes order. Yep. I want day, I want night, I want this, I want that. She said, can you imagine God using his imagination? I mean, to make a zebra, a llama, right. an elephant, do you imagine the creativity that's got to be going on? Mountains and sky. And it really opened my, it spoke to my heart that, that it's okay to have structure, but You've got to allow those seeds of creativity to, to bud, to blossom, to bloom. If you're going to write, or even if you want to start another business. I mean, it was so hard for me to conceptualize the, the writing process. I've written books. I've written, I wrote my doctoral dissertation. I've written police reports. But to write without boundaries, okay. to write creatively. And my first writings were, were fiction works. Um, my wife and I write a fiction Cozy mystery series, you know, okay. like the old Angela Lansbury murder she wrote. 
But then, but my heart is writing uh, Christian works specifically to men about uh, overcoming past pain and freedom and uh, and sexual addiction and and just really becoming the men that God created us to be. And in that writing requires structure because it requires biblical understanding. But there's always the seed of creativity, and I find that with a lot of uh, folks that are working nine to five and they've got that that tug on their heart. Man, I always wanted to try this. 2020, and and, and I say it with respect to to the people that have that have died and the, and the and the illnesses. But 2020 has been an amazing year for us. It's been an amazing opportunity to break that institutionalization and realize things are changing, and you've got to be creative to keep up. So because of that, we were forced. I say we. I'm trying to throw my wife under the bus. She's very creative. I was forced to stop being so structured in my thinking. I was forced to think, let's do this a different way, a, a better way. And then to do that, I had to really allow my my imagination to roam. Even if it didn't make business sense, right. you at least had to let it roam until it came to a point where, where the, the free thinking creativity began to formalize itself into maybe a business structure or an opportunity. It's, it's so interesting and so true what you say that, you know, you can read a story like creation and you can see what you want to see. If you're looking for order and structure, you see order and structure. If you're looking for creativity, you see creativity. And they're both there. But as people, you know, we have that natural tendency just to, I guess, subconsciously, you know, you buy a red car, all of a sudden there's red cars everywhere. Yeah, you right? say what you focus on, you magnify. Right. And so, it, you know, it, I think that's just a, such a good reminder for us to keep that focus on our faith, to keep that focus on scripture and, and, and where our foundation comes from, to magnify that in our lives and, and bring that out, you know, above everything else. Um, so, so encouraging, you know, just to listen to you talk. Now, Scott, before we uh, officially got on the, the mic here, we were talking about Sabbaths and days of rest. Did we talk about this? This is, this is really interesting for me. In the last week, this theme has come up so many times in conversations I've had. So obviously, I, I, I need to pay attention, and I'm not, clearly. Uh, but maybe some of our listeners do too. You know, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm trying to build something. It's been a tough year. We, we're low on staff. Even when we weren't low on staff, you know, I probably still worked a little too much. I think I've got my balance better, but I don't think I've, I've kept a true Sabbath. And like I say, this is like the third or the fourth time in three or four days this has come up from different people every time. So, so there's, there's obviously, you know, a reason for that. But, you know, you mentioned it obviously about your wife and, and we, we don't need to go into, into her story. She's not in the studio with us today, but it seems that there is a reason God had a day of rest in creation. And we were just talking about creation. Obviously, he didn't need to rest. It's like, not like he exerted himself in any way and needed to sleep. So, so he's obviously teaching us something here that as people, there's a reason we need to learn. And I think one of the folks I was talking to, uh, in fact, I think I think that episode may be going live next week on on, on this show. Um, but she was saying that she um, she got challenged about this concept of you no, know, you have a day of like real rest. Turn off the phone. I don't I don't think she turns it off for the whole day, but you know, just put it down, do something different, change your pace, change your routine. And she said, you know, she noticed how her life started to change and, and get back into balance just from this one day of of breaking the mold. And I think it's something we've lost, definitely in America. You know, we 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 would all work seven days, I think, given given the chance, or a lot of us would. But you've obviously experienced this in your family to some extent, you know, with decisions that you made with your wife. What what's your thoughts on this Sabbath thing? What what do you think? Well, it is. I mean, there God set the standard. He set the example. And you're right, he didn't need to take a break, but he wanted to set the example. And you know, God loves us so much that he wants us to have rest. 
He wants us to have fun. Right. I mean, he wants us to enjoy sex in the in the in the in the confines of marriage. Yep. I mean, God God created emotion. He's fun. He's loving, uh, and he also appreciates the fact that we do need to rest. And and he's always been very clear about that. But you know, my wife was, and it's an interesting story. But you know, we were convicted during a sermon where the pastor said, "Of the Ten Commandments, this is the one that we all think it's okay to break." And we started praying about it. And not only that, it's we think it's okay as a culture collectively. Right. That as a culture, we think it's okay, but it's encouraged. And you look on social media and the the grind, the grind. I'm yeah. grinding twenty four seven. I'm grinding twenty four. And it's like, no. How about like we spend a little time with our wife? with our family, right? Why is, what's the purpose of the grind 24-7? And, and that was really put on our heart and, and at that sermon. So I shared with you earlier was that, that Leah was so convicted that she would, had not honored the Sabbath. She had not accepted the gift that God had given her. And that's another issue. We as a culture, we're terrible receivers. A lot of us are. We, it was put on our heart. So God, you know, he really put it on our hearts, especially Leah. She was convicted. And to say, I want you to accept this gift. I want you to reclaim your Sabbaths. So she she went on a calendar and she looked at all the years she's been writing and all the Sundays she, or just the Sabbaths she never took off. And it added up to six consecutive months, six months wow. of Sabbath. And, and I'll tell you, Mike, when she looks at me and says, hey, I'm taking six months off of work, I was like, are you sure that was Jesus talking to you? And she, she's like, look, I prayed, I've been convicted. And, and look, and she did. And it's exactly what you said. Her life started to change. Her creativity was refreshed, renewed, rene- uh, uh, returned. Our kids started to change. And then after that, that six-month period, we made it, that was our family's under, you know, there was no exception to the rule is that this is going to be our Sabbath. Right. And and we did. We no computers, no, we don't have TV in the house anyway, but no, you know, movies, iPads. It's family time. And we got a bunch of younger kids and we're like, oh, they're probably gonna revolt, you know, like, oh, I'm so bored. I will tell you that from that point it changed everything. And as hard as we like to push, there's days to grind, right? There's yeah. days to get after. Mondays. We were so refreshed, so renewed. We weren't just slugging ourselves from day to day, operating on little energy. So I get, you know, in the, in the illustration of recharging your battery, sure, that's the simple example. But the reality is, God wants to bless us. Yeah. I mean, He's our dad. I mean, just like given to our kids, there's nothing we wouldn't do for our kids. And I don't know that we don't, I don't think we see Him as, as, a, as a father who loves to give good gifts. Walking in the miraculous doesn't necessarily mean you know, you're going to win the lottery. Right. That could be a curse sometimes. I mean, <laughs> walking in the miraculous, when you begin to see it, is just waking up that first breath, right? I mean, living every moment of the day, you are a walking, talking miracle. That's the gift God gives you. So if he gives you other gifts, I mean, you would take a million-dollar check. Why won't you take a day off? It's a gift, and, and it's a gift given out of love. And, and when I said that, that we're not good receivers, I saw the expression on your face. But that's another, you know, is that we don't receive the gift of Sabbath because right. a lot of us just don't think that we're either worthy to receive or we're afraid that there's going to be some reciprocating uh, notion to receiving that we've got to give back and give more. Uh, or maybe a competitive edge where they say that comparison is the thief of joy. Well, right, right. But that's that's where we we do believe that the Sabbath is not just it's not like a hard and fast mosaic rule of mosaic law. It's it's a gift of love from God. Right. 
So we honor it as that. And, and it's really changed our life. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so as we're wrapping up, I got two questions for you. So the first one is, when it's all over, you kick up your heels and you're gone. What's the one thing that you want people to remember you for? That, uh, that I was kind. Okay. That I was kind to other people. Awesome. All right. And second, what's the one thing you would tell the world if you could leave one piece of advice to, to someone else? Be kind. All right. Be kind. I like it. Good themes. Well, Scott, listen, it's been a blast having you on the show. Really appreciate your time. Why don't you tell us how folks can connect with you and how they can find you online if they want to learn more? No, I appreciate it. My website is scottsilveri.com. It's not very imaginative, but it's my name. So it's just scottsilveri.com. And that's my website. And I have my books there and I have a blog there. And, and, and I do, I just go on, I like to share. And then from there, our Five Stones Church Online link is, is there as well. And all of our social media. And, and we do. My wife and I live our life for Christ. We live it wide open. Uh, there's no secrets. There's transparency. And we do. We love to, to help people to mentor people, particularly marriages and broken folks. So I would be, I would love to have them stop by the website, say hello, follow us online. We're glad to have you. Awesome. And we're going to put those links in the show notes just to make sure you can find them okay. I appreciate you tuning in, Scott. I appreciate you being with me in the studio today. And uh, until next time, let's go out there and be amazing. And that's a wrap, folks. What a conversation. What a great guy. Again, me and Scott, you know, I think we're going to be good buddies here moving forward. We've been texting since we recorded the episode a few weeks ago and actually getting together again this week. He's helped me on a different project. Just a, a phenomenal guy. You know, sometimes you meet people and they just come across as so genuine. He, he's got such a, a great, calming personality about him. He, he clearly thinks deeply and, and just loves God deeply. It was such a blessing to just be around him. His presence, his kind of energy, it was just so refreshing and um, I wish you could have experienced what I experienced in the studio but hopefully you got a little taste of it on the episode today until next time you can find me online at Real Mike Thacker for Facebook and Instagram if you still do those things Mike Thacker on LinkedIn and obviously on YouTube now Tech Talk with Mike if you want to see the tech channel and also the Mike Thacker show is on YouTube if you want to see the video um, as well as listen to the audio or instead of listening to the audio I don't mind you know, some people think I've got a radio voice and I can live with that. Some people think, you know, maybe not so much and I'm okay too, you know, I make ball look good. So either way, come hang out, you know, give us some feedback. Let us know what's working. Let us know what you'd like to hear. And um, we're doing our best to keep this show uh, adapting and evolving to make it as useful as possible for you with the guests that we're lining up. Really appreciate that you took the time today to listen. And until next time, let's go out there and be amazing. <laughs>